Psychological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. It is fun to consider that philosophy can be captured in an encyclopedic tome meant for academic experts, as well as in a sliver of fictional storytelling. Over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at some of the reoccurring characters in the most famous fables of all, Aesop's. In each episode, we'll look at several fables about our featured critter, the moral of those fables, and we'll take a deeper look at how they tie together. Today, we're looking at the fox. (laughs) So Aesop's fables, um, you know, pretty much everybody is familiar with them. Um, And I know when I, you know, you hear them growing up and things, and I just always had the assumption that, well, you know, they're meant for... They're meant for kids or whatever. And then I remember finding the actual Aesop's Fables book um, on my dad's shelf when I was, I want to say 19 or 20, something like that. And I just read through the whole book. It was just fascinated by my thought. Oh, these are, these are not really for children. Like it's, <laughs> it's really, uh, you know, it can be for anybody. But mm-hmm. um, I think that it's just the, the animal characters, which is what we're going to focus on in the series. Because I think that there's, there's a lot of fascinating elements and questions that sort of surround them. Right. But uh, what we associate with each animal just generally. Yeah, yeah. And those are some questions we'll ask at the end. Yeah. So we'll start by reading the fables. So um, we'll trade off and we'll just kind of talk about them. Yep. And um, I'll start with uh, the first one, which I have. Um, so, yeah, you we each picked four of them. Yep. Um, so. I'll read one of the ones that I picked, and then uh, you can read one. The the first one that I picked was the fox and the bramble. Hmm. So the fox and the bramble goes, A fox was mounting a hedge when he lost his footing and caught hold of a bramble to save himself. Having pricked and grievously torn the soles of his feet, he accused the bramble because when he had fled to her for assistance, she had used him worse than the hedge itself. Hmm. The bramble, interrupting him, said, but you really must have been out of your senses to fasten yourself on me, who am myself always accustomed to fastening upon others. <laughs> so I really like that story. And one thing I found as I was reading through these is um, the specific site that you sent me to, to uh, that has a, a really um, you know, encompassing collection of these fables, yeah. was um, it spells out the accompanying moral with it. And one thing I found as I was reading these, and I think what's what makes Aesop's fables um, really interesting is that, you know, I read the fable and then I'd read the moral that they're explicitly telling me is attached with it. And then I always found myself finding other things in the story that it might've been about. And that's where the philosophy of these little snippets of stories comes in. So the sort of explicit moral to this story, the fox and the bramble, is to the selfish, everyone is selfish, right? And you can see that, you know, the the fox finds himself in this um, bad way. And so in his desperation, he reaches out to save himself, gets hurt in the process. And then rather than thinking, oh, wow, you know, grabbing onto this saved me. Instead, his reaction is, hey, I hurt my foot on this thing. <laughs> you know, what, what were you, I, I needed help and you did this to me, you know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's a good moral. Um, it is. But I think there's another aspect to it, too, that I sort of keyed in on, which was um, beware of who you trust as well, right? 
So, you know, it, I, I think so. I think that, the, and, and what you said about the explicit moral certainly is explicit. It's obvious. It's, it's there. It, but, but be careful who you trust it implies that if you're in a bad situation, don't necessarily take the immediate first way out if there are other possible ways at the same time. Yeah. And if you do, accept that it's not necessarily going to go well either. <laughs> yeah, I think that if we extrapolate this story out to, you know, like a, a more human scenario, right? If, you, if you're doing something in your everyday life and you come up against a hard time, um, you know, if, if, like you said, if the first thing that you reach out to, the first person that you reach out to for help is somebody that is, you know, basically known to be toxic or toxic by nature, you don't really have a right to be mad at them for harming you in some way when you should have known better than to reach out for them for help. Right. Yeah. Cause you're abandoning, you're abandoning all, all sense. In other words, you're panicking. Right. Okay. We all get in situations where panic would be necessary or, or totally understandable, but panic doesn't help anything, of course. And, and we can stand away from that and, and know that. But yeah, there's a, there's a blame thing going on. And there's, to me, this is an example of, of consequentialism. Hmm. If it, if something you, if you take an action and it turns out well, it was the right action to take. <laughs> and if it turns out badly, then perhaps it wasn't the right action to take. Well, it still turned out well. He got off the other. Yeah. And I think that this is where, um, a stoic philosophy would be appropriate if you're the fox, right? (laughs) Hey, listen, life is hard. You're going to come up. Everybody's going to come across situations, whether you're a fox in a hedge or a human in a financial situation or a life and death situation where, um, you know, like I said, life or death, you're, you're panicking. You just may take the first action you can to survive. Yep. And the Stokes would say, well, you survived, you know, right. Good job. There's no point in looking at the, the, <laughs> the, the thorns in you. Right. There's yeah, there's no point in looking at that. <laughs> the point is that you, you survived. But, Sit down and pull the thorns out and shush. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, it's this focus on, it's this perspective shift on the outcomes, right? Rather than being grateful that he survived this scenario. He's looking at it and saying, well, hey, I hurt my foot on this bramble, you know, like yep. it's. There's also a thing that goes on with me, for me, with Aesop that, and by the way, when we talk about it, if we talk about it, there, there's virtually no evidence that Aesop existed. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that, but, you know, it's a, uh, the way the story begins, you, you, in your mind, in my mind, I said, no, wait a minute, what's he doing in the hedge in the first place? Hmm. You know, there's this this whole thing that's gone on beforehand. Yeah. Why 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 would you go into a hedge? Was a hunter after you? Was another uh, an apex predator after you? <laughs> yeah, and, and the fables, um, and that that is another part where that the philosophy and the imagination of the story comes in. Some mm-hmm. of these fables they'll spell it out for you. You know what was happening, but sometimes they are. You're you're in this situation, and um, the one that sticks out to me, then I don't think any of us picked it, but it's the fox and the goat. Uh, and it says, 
a fox was in a well and a goat <laughs> comes to help him. Yes. And the fox says, hey, if you jump down here, you know, or, you know, hey, yeah, the water's good. Come in. The yeah. goat comes in. Well, hey, now we're both stuck. And the fox says, well, if you let me jump up on your back, I can get yeah, out and right. pull you out. <laughs> the goat lets him do it. And then the fox takes off. And the goat says, right. wait, you were supposed to help me. And the fox says, well, you should have looked before you leaped and not come down here with no way out. Well, well, you were in the bottom of the well to begin with, you know? So what what happened here, right? Um, what stupid thing did you do, fox? Or what? What accident happened that maybe was unavoidable? It's always Fox that's usually avoidable. Yeah, the, yeah. That's the nature of the character itself. And in, in any folktale system from the Greeks to the uh, indigenous cultures, the Fox is usually at best a trickster. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Yeah, so this is something we'll get into at the end after we've yep, read through all yep, the fables. Okay. But let's move on to the next one. Uh, so this is yours. And uh, the one you picked for this was the Fox and the Leopard. Fox and the Leopard. Here we are. The fox and the leopard disputed which was the more beautiful of the two. The leopard exhibited one by one the various spots which decorated his skin. But the fox, interrupting him, said, And how much more beautiful than you am I, who am decorated not in body, but in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this is another one, right? So the explicit moral is... Brains over beauty, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's better to be smart than to than to look good. But again, there's that thing in the back of my head that's saying, well, there's an arrogance here as Absolutely. well that almost cancels out the message of saying <laughs> that, you know, being smart is better than being beautiful. So, right, exactly. well, and for me, of course, it's so, look, I mean, this, this is a side note, but I have said to my, to my uh, granddaughter, Many times, because she'll she'll look at age spots on me, and mm-hmm. and I've got a particularly larger one in, on my hand, and she'll she'll call it a boo boo, and I say, no, it's not a boo boo. It's just I'm I tell her I'm turning into a leopard. <laughs> 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 and, and someday you'll have lots of those spots. I said, I'm I'm already getting them. That's it, you know. But but I don't find them particularly beautiful, you know. So <laughs> the, the first the notion that that just because it's ostentatious. That it's automatically beautiful uh, renders a shallowness, perhaps, to both of the characters. Okay, it's showy. Showy can be fun. Ostentatious is fun sometimes, but that doesn't mean it's the only beautiful. And and so the fox wanting to prove, as always, that the fox is better somehow. It is arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> And that, I mean, this raises the whole idea of aesthetics, you know, in beauty. And especially, mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned the human part of it. You have age spots, right? I'm covered with freckles. And I always remembered growing up hating them. And there was all these old Irish ladies that loved them. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, your idea of what's beautiful, right? Or, you know, okay, well, how come, you know, having hair on your head is beautiful, but then having hair over the rest of your body is not. Right? Right. <laughs> so, who's making these rules, right? Exactly. This, you know? Exactly. Who's making this rule? Fox. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think that is a sort of a uh, trope that you see throughout the fox's stories is that the fox is smart. He does have brains. Um, but rather than it being, um, you know, this thought out or rational um, sort of approach, it's a very instinctual, witty, fast paced thing that is more about maneuvering and, you know, sleight of hand and changing perspective than it is. Um, something of substance. Right? right, exactly, because there, again, I'm at the 
what the heck are Fox and Leopard doing together anyway? <laughs> oh, let's just go walking together. What? <laughs> it seems to me that there's a potential for great danger in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And, and so to be walking along with a leopard and then say, oh, but I have the better mind. <laughs> right, right. It seems <laughs> like you're asking, asking for trouble there. But yeah, so I, I think that that one, that one is interesting. Yep. Um, so the next one that I had here was the uh, fox and the crow. So a crow having stolen a bit of meat perched in a tree and held it in her beak. A fox, seeing this, longed to possess the meat himself and by a wily strategy succeeded. Hmm. How handsome is the crow, he exclaimed, in the beauty of her shape and in the fairness of her complexion. Oh, if her voice were only equal to her beauty, she would deservedly be considered the queen of the birds. Hmm. This he said deceitfully, but the crow, anxious to refute the reflection cast upon her voice, set up a loud caw and dropped the flesh. The fox quickly picked it up and thus addressed the crow. My good crow, your voice is right enough, but your wit is wanting. <laughs> <laughs> so again, classic fox, right? And in this case, um, is taking... The opposite approach that it did with the leopard, pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, wow, you're so beautiful and great, man. If you just your voice was better, you know, you'd be great." <laughs> and this sort of goads the crow into releasing the meat. You can see these happening. A part of the brilliance of these, uh, I think, is that because I have you know lots of crows. I love crows. Every morning, a crow is on the top of a spruce tree outside my house. Waking me up, ah! You can see it going ah and dropping the meat just like that. Yeah. Um, so there's a natural uh, appeal in this. But yeah, he's just the, the other thing. And we'll, and we'll get to it. But just to, to, to make a put a little bookmarker on this, it seems to me funny in a, in a kind of Abbott and Costello, you know, going back to the earliest kinds of of comedy in in the country that as we're applying this to our ourselves uh, vaudeville kinds of things how many times can the can the fox trick you when you'll say oh do it again well this is where the charlie brown stuff comes but here charlie brown i'll hold the ball and you'll kick it <laughs> right <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. yeah so the explicit moral in this story is don't trust flatterers right and you can see that as a as a decent moral right um if if you're walking around your everyday life and somebody just comes up to you and starts telling you how wonderful you are um, for no apparent reason, um, heck, maybe they're really nice, genuine people, but maybe there's an ulterior motive. Um, the other one that I saw in there was um, don't be hasty to prove yourself to others, right? Yeah. So here's the thing yeah. is like the crow... Um, you know, regardless of what the crow thinks about its voice, it still would have had its lunch if it didn't value the fox's opinion of its voice. Exactly. Right? And so I, I feel like that's also kind of an important lesson. It is. Okay. Eat, your, eat your lunch and then crow. Okay. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> just a minute. Okay. <laughs> no, we have to do it instantly. It's all, I, I think there's an overarching thing going on here, which we can get back to too, but which is the – as you mentioned earlier, it's um, the immediacy. The instantaneous decision is generally not the best decision to make. <laughs> yeah, not only, you know, and, and in some cases, like with the fox in the hedge, you know, that instantaneous decision, 
you might look back at it and say, oh, well, I could have taken this different route and not stepped on a bramble or whatever. But you're in a life or death situation. You're in the moment and you just do the best you can. But then in something like this, um, it's really pretty apparent that, you know, the crow could have uh, taken a moment and then said, well, what does the fox say? Right? And in addition to being a viral song, um, we all know that it, it's not pretty itself, right? So if you sort of would have just taken the second to turn the table, um, maybe that would have uh, calmed your anger down or your, that that instinct that you suddenly need to prove yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. So if somebody's coming at you and saying, oh, well, you know, you don't do this thing so well, and then they don't do that thing so well, maybe there's something else going on there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Um, the next one we have is a classic, and that is the fox and the grapes. <laughs> this might yeah. be I, this is probably the most famous Aesop's fable. You think? I think it's one of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. Perhaps the most. Yeah, I think probably the most familiar. A famished fox saw some clusters of ripe black grapes hanging from a trail, trellised vine. She resorted to all her tricks to get at them but wearied herself in vain, for she could not reach them. At last, she turned away, hiding her disappointment and saying, the grapes are sour and not ripe as I thought. Hmm. So the explicit moral here is, of course, it's easy to despise something that you can't have. Yep. And I think that we all do that. And you know what? I think that it's, it's difficult, right? Because it's sort of a tricky line to walk. Because I think that when trying to project into the future with some things, right, trying to decide on a course of action, we're always weighing these pros and and cons. Mm -hmm. And we have no way of knowing, really, whether we make right or wrong choices. Because we only know what happens when we make the one that we made. But sometimes we make the one that we made, right? And then, you know, we progress down that path and maybe that path didn't turn out as well as we thought so then in order to sort of provide some comfort you know to to reduce our cognitive dissonance and in the the idea that we made the wrong decision we start to reevaluate the other path and start to think of more things that could have gone wrong there and say well you know what at least at least i'm here instead of Mm. instead of there yeah and you know and that's the thing is there's no way of knowing maybe all of those bad things would have happened and you did make the right choice but maybe it would have turned out better. But I think it's a human, that's a, it's sort of an in, ingrained part of human psychology. It's very human. And uh, also for me with this, this uh, tropish, because it is so familiar, for all people have to say is sour grapes. And mm-hmm. they've, they've essentially uh, alluded to the, the small but whole story. It, is that we have this inherent need to be right. Hmm. Well, I knew that was going to happen. I, 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 I think at one moment or other, we all say it when we're trying something new and it doesn't go quite well. I, I figured hmm. that was the Western New York is the I figured that would happen. Yeah. No, you didn't. No, you wouldn't have done it in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> but you do it to comfort yourself. You do it because you want it to be prescient. You want it to be, well, uh, yeah, I did a cost-benefit analysis, and it turns out I was right. You know, it, the, the reverse engineering of the decision is precisely the wrong way to go about making decisions. Yeah, yeah. 
And so, I mean, and what's the value in that for an individual, right? Is it to um, not pursue um, a course of action that it might not be beneficial in the future? You know, it's like, what's mm-hmm. the, what's the drive to, to always have that, that idea that we knew, you uh, know, I, I don't, I, you know, we, and I think we've, we've touched on this in a number of different episodes, but I, this is the part where I always think, how did we manage to evolve at all. Well, there's millions of years of trial and error. <laughs> Who knows what everything was like and how many mistakes and uh, how many just dead ends happened. We know a few of them or, or, or think we do. So yeah, it's, it's rather than saying, yep, that didn't work and go on with it. It's, yep, I knew that wasn't going to work. And, and, and so will you go on and try to get grapes the next time? Maybe not, even if the grapes were good for you, mm-hmm. even though ultimately the effort was probably worth it. And, and for me, that can be extrapolated in all kinds of things. Oh, we, we, we put a, a ship up in the air and once in a while, there's this horrific event because we're, we're working at the edge of, of known physics and, and science and, and sooner or later, something bad is probably going to happen just in probability terms. But then we just shut everything down. Nope, I guess we won't do that for a while. Nope, it's because we knew it was going to happen sooner or later rather than, yep, that happened and we're going to move on. And then what I'm thinking about with that is two things, the Apollo program and then the space shuttle program. The exploration of space versus the trucking of things from one place to another at the edge of, of space. And, and that doesn't diminish the lives lost at all, but how, how we responded to the challenger, hmm. uh, which maybe a lot of people don't even know about anymore, but uh, explosion with a tremendously fascinating crew aboard was to just do a deep analysis and rethink and rethink and just pause or stall the program for a long time. There was a terrible event with a fire in an earlier Apollo ship, and, and three astronauts died in a fire on the pad. But they continued with Apollo. Hmm. Um, and so I, this story brings that kind of stuff to mind. Yeah, I think that, you know, another one that, that pops to my head is um, nuclear energy, right? And it's the, in that idea, it's different, right? Rather than having a tragedy that, that's shutting it down. I, well, I guess it's similar, right? You had Chernobyl and you had Three Mile Island and these things. But it, it requires a long view, right? So if you understand that you have climate change and global warming issues and you understand fossil fuels are contributing to that, and you know the dangers you know, and, and the things that go along with nuclear energy, maybe perhaps rather than looking to nuclear energy as being the savior of the planet, you look at it as being a step between fossil fuels and renewable resources, right? Mm-hmm. And you think, okay, well, this isn't perfect, but it's needed to reduce emissions and maybe we use it for 10, 20, 30 years before we get our wind and solar and hydro up to an efficiency and a scale that works for the planet. And here's now we're warming up because here's to me, you just took me back to the Fox and the Bramble. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You step, <laughs> you step on a Bramble once at Chernobyl or three mile Island and you say, Oh, you know, like, how could you do this to me? Right. Well, why wouldn't you think that I would? This is my nature. I, I can bite back. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, this is the the joy of these small tales, these, these these fables, these animal stories that we we can we can encapsulate an event, not not erase the event, but say, okay, let's just look at it uh, from a metaphorical, figurative distance and see what we learn. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the fox and the grapes is is fantastic for that because of all the reasons that we just we just mentioned. You know, there's you, you can extrapolate that. You know, you can think of personal instances where it's happened for yourself, and you can extrapolate it to the whole of humanity, and it, it still holds the same meaning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so the next one we have is the fox who had lost his tail. A fox caught in a trap escaped, but in so doing, lost his tail. Thereafter, feeling his life a burden from the shame and ridicule to which he was exposed, he schemed to convince all the other foxes that being tailless was much more attractive, thus making up for his own deprivation. He assembled a good many foxes and publicly advised them to cut off their tails, (laughs) saying that they would not only look much better without them, but that they would get rid of the weight of the brush, which was a very great inconvenience. One of them interrupted him, saying, if you had not yourself lost your tail, my friend, you would not thus counsel us. <laughs> and so this is another one where probably sort of as I'm reading the story, you can think of situations, whether it's in your personal life or in, you know, sort of the public media sphere, you you can think of, oh, okay, yeah, no, I know people that, that do this, right? And um, the moral of this story the explicit moral is misery loves company. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I think that that's true, right? If I think that um, there is this sort of uh, urge that when you find yourself in a hard place to find somebody else who's in the same situation because they understand you, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, th- the other one that, that I saw in there was, you know, e- examine the motives of others, right? So if somebody's telling you something, right, it might be good to to dig into it a little bit and say, okay, well, why are you trying to convince me of this? You know? Yeah. This is one of the more complicated ones, um, I, I think, because now this is going to be a side pop culture reference too, but th- this is a meeting of the Green Lanterns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's gather the foxes. <laughs> well, first, it it that uh, solves an implicit. Uh, uh, an implicit thing that's been going on in the other stories. When you take them in total, you just read all the Fox stories uh, and then choose some to talk about. When you read all the Fox stories, you realize we're not talking about one Fox. Mm. So it, it's more complicated. The Fox with the grapes was female. The, this one happens to be male. But we're gathering other Foxes, probably male and female, all of whom have different viewpoints. What does it mean to be Fox? So, so mm. this is an implied question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In this, and some of the foxes are wiser than others. Right. In comparison with themselves. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, that runs through my head listening to that story, too. Yeah. And and I think that it does represent where it gets complicated to be human, right? And it gets complicated to, you know, it's hard to think, and it's hard to examine sources and do these things. But, you know... Um, there's a separation there, right? If you think about um, Christopher Reeves or Michael J. Fox, right? These people out here that are, um, you know, doing research and supporting research for diseases that they have, 
that would more be like the fox going out there and saying, hey, let's let's come up with a way to make sure that no other foxes lose their tails, right? (laughs) Which is a different thing. But to go out there and try to convince everybody that not having a tail is the better way, that's that's like the emperor's new clothes, right? It very much is. And this, so, you know, this... Uh, not unexpectedly takes me to all kinds of political things. Yeah. This is, you know, this is the way. Get rid of this and you'll be better. Hmm. Well, just lop off your tail. Lop off an essential part of what you are. You'll be better for it. That's if, who needs it? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very dangerous. Yeah. Using simplistic arguments or, you know, examining um, <laughs> laws that were applicable 200 years ago, or you know, there's a lot of a there's lot a of, lot of possibilities than that, which right. is which is why these stay alive. Mm-hmm. We can talk about nuclear power, we can talk about politics, we can talk about somebody in our family, we can talk, you know. So there's a there's a common reference. We so often lack a common reference any uh, these days. I, I think this is going to be dating me too, but everything does. Uh, I, I've often had this conversation with people of my generation and said, boy, weren't things simpler when there were like three channels on the television? <laughs> and everybody either saw some of the same shows or chose not to watch, but there was, there was a limited number of things to talk about with televised things. So there was a common reference for stories. Now people watch so many things that the chances of seeing having seen the same thing at the same time uh, are, are extremely diminished. Well, when you go back to Aesop, this is, these are paragraph-long stories. These are flash fiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so you can read and say, oh, and maybe I remember that from being a kid, or maybe I've never encountered that, but oh, we can all read a paragraph story in the space of a couple seconds. Yeah. And maybe it speaks to us. Yeah, and I mean, we're going through eight of these, which I mean, the fox is a central character in Aesop's stories, and we're probably hitting, you know, at least half of the stories right here. So, I mean... Like you said, it, it's not a huge investment of time to read everything there is to read about this idea within the context of Aesop's fables yeah. and um, be able to have some interesting insights and thoughts about it, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, I mentioned Christopher Reed's Michael J. Fox yeah, Foundation, yeah. all sorts of things, good causes, you know, mm. that would be more like the foxes trying to keep their tails. I think about um, like celebrity things on the other side of it, you know, like, Oh, well, you know, hey, if you take this pill, you'll be just like me. And it's like, well, you have a profession, you know, you have a personal chef and a professional trainer and plastic surgery and all this other stuff that money can afford for people. Um, what are the chances that you're popping these same pills that you're telling me to, to pop or these sorts of things? This is why this is, that's one of the prime on the list of logical fallacies. Hmm. You know, uh, there are many names for it, but, uh, uh, Argument from a position of notoriety. Oh, I'm a sports player. You all recognize. So go ahead and do this. Now we think we're savvy enough to say, well, we, we, you know, we're in the 21st century. We know that you've got a contract. We know that, but gee, I still like that guy. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> even when you know how the rules work, you'll say, yeah, but it doesn't apply to me because. You know, we're good. <laughs> right, right. And it makes you wonder if this fox who lost his tail, right? Um, you know, he'd obviously been subjected to to ridicule, you know? Right. But it makes you, psychologically, right, at some point, does he convince himself that it is 
more beautiful and attractive not to have a tail, right? Mm -hmm. Is it always a ploy, you know, just to get, you know, misery loves company, right? To get these other foxes to, to do a heated so that he's not alone. Or is there something psychologically going on where he's, like we talked about in the story before, right? Needing to be right. You know, needing need to be, to be right. in that position of of being the one who's right. But I can I can see this story being uh, used as a quick introduction to an audience to, to talk about things like uh, having uh, multiple ways of access to a building. Hmm. Nobody in disability rights or other ability rights uh, would be saying everybody should have to use a ramp only. Right. So take away your stairs. Use around, but uh, maybe one could construe the fox as putting out there. It's not easy, not having a tail. Try it, and then see what it does. So I, I think that's reading in, but I think it's possible to re-see that story that way. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean it raises the whole specter of of that. That, anyways, you know, this idea of disability, right? Because um, the fox says in his story, right. Hey, without my tail, I move through the brush much easier, right? And we see people with no legs that are are banned from competing in the real Olympics because the artificial legs make them faster than right. normal humans. So this idea of disability, right? right. Or, I think no, there's some marvelous things that keep coming up on my Instagram. Uh, who knows how the algorithm works? But I'm glad that that there. And I I can't say the people's names yet because I haven't gotten a full handle on all that works. So I've just admitted my inability but but there are uh, things where people who are um, in wheelchairs sometimes or whose bodies move differently than what we call quote unquote normally who are saying look uh am i going to stand here looking glum for the rest of my days no because i can do this i can move see me as beautiful or don't i am you know and and so i i can see some of that in the tale too. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of goes back on a lot of the, uh, yeah. the other tales that we've, we've told so far. Yeah. All right. The next one we have is the Fox and the mask. <laughs> I, let me all these smart. Uh, that's the Fox and Queen. The Fox. <laughs> I lost my, Joel, I'm going to ask you to read it. Oh, I only printed out the ones that I Okay, had. well, hang on just a second. Fill up the time while I'm finding it. All right. Because uh, I had it marked, but I yeah, lost it. This one is pretty interesting. I don't know which version you have because um, on the – I originally didn't pick this one because I read one version of it on um, where you had sent me online. Right. And then I noticed there was a second one, and I read that, and I, I did like that one a lot better. Yeah, I like – I, I, uh, you're, you're right. There are, there are variations, and the one online does have – it's not it's not huge variation, but it's uh, it's enough. So, well, as soon as I get my finger on it, we'll talk about. It. I should have had it memorized. I I didn't, and but I think the idea of revision and how we tell a story, and this is true for Arthurian stories. This is true for so many um, kinds. You you see that in the subtleties of difference. Uh, a pretty large, different meaning can be taken from it. Especially in stories like this, because they're so short. Um, 
like the fox and the tail had two versions as well. Yep. And um, it's usually, I noticed where the variation is, is at the very beginning of the story, there's usually um, some difference in how the animal ended up in the situation that it's in. And that makes a really big difference. As like we were talking about the fox and the goat, makes a really big difference in the moral of the story or how you view the character, depending on how he ended up in the situation. Yes, it does. And now I found it. And you filled that very well. It was meaningful. (laughs) So the fox and the mask. A fox entered the house of an actor and rummaging through all his properties came upon a mask, an admirable imitation of a human head. He placed his paws on it and said, what a beautiful head. Yet it is of no value as it entirely lacks brains. Hmm. Now, there's a reason I like this one that I, that I'll reveal up front. And it won't surprise you because I uh, have the good fortune of having uh, been uh, done some acting at, at college in a, in a theater program, learning something about it. Uh, uh, one of my uh, adult children went through all the training uh, at the beginning levels for this. And then I'm in the world of puppeteering as an audience member, as somebody who loves many puppeteers in this, this world. And so those all talk to me while I'm reading this story, because to me, this, uh, you know, aside from what you'll, you'll uh, uh, more than adequately point out as the main moral, there's a, a re- revelation of a lack of understanding on Fox's part of what masks are about. Yeah. So there's a possible Jungian analysis. There's a possibly possible puppetry analysis. Puppetry. I, I, I interviewed a few weeks ago one of the preeminent puppeteers on the planet. I was sitting in Perry High School. Well, he and his team was working with one of the preeminent American puppeteers. And they've been friends for a long time. They were making a new show that they presented in Perry, this nice little town. Uh, but it's the formal opening of it, it's going to be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Then it's going to New York. So anybody who came to saw, see it here, they saw the nascent, uh, the beginnings of this, of this show. Puppeteers have this magical thing going on. It's neurocognitive. It's spiritual. It is on so many levels. We all know it's a puppet, and yet a puppeteer who, in in in, in what uh, uh, Mr. Nishikawa, who's a fifth generation puppeteer, this kind of form is called cart puppeting. It was developed by his great 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 grandpa. Right? It's 170 years old, and it gets modified as as tools change. But essentially, puppeteer sitting in in uh, black or dark clothing. Uh, Sometimes with masks, sometimes not, uh, to cover up the features, usually not. So you are seeing the puppet doing what it's doing. You're seeing the shadow of the puppeteer manipulating the puppet. Uh, but you're also seeing the expressions on the puppeteer's face, which is directing you right back to the puppet and revealing what's going on in the puppet. And so a mask can be used to hide. This is a superhero thing going on, right? A mask, just hide my identity. A mask can be used to distract you away from the person who's doing the manipulating. A mask uh, can also, uh, uh, the mask of putting on the emotions of the the thing that's being puppeteered or manipulated. Uh, Still, you know know what's there. There's a humanity to a mask. And so for the fox to say, 
what a beautiful head, yet it's no value, it entirely lacks brains, uh, would be as much as for a person to pick up a puppet and look at it and say, ah, there's nothing here. Yeah. Well, until the human being is moving it, at which point, I mean, my my, my wife, who is a, a, has been a children's uh, storyteller, uh, library services person for decades, <laughs> She often says this to me because she enjoys doing puppeteering and, 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 and the simplest sock puppet. You don't even need a sock. Take your hand and say, Oh, here comes alligator. And, I, and I'm holding my hand out here like alligator and everybody's going to watch that hand. Hello, I'm an alligator. And, and they'll say, yeah, what is it? What's going on, alligator? <laughs> it's on my arm. It's my hand, but somehow you've got a form. Yeah. And that's why I actually like the alternate version of this story better is because in the alternate version, the fox doesn't break into the, an actor's house. He actually breaks into a theater. And uh, so as yeah. he's wandering yeah. around the theater, he sees a mask hanging up and it says that it scares him. And so he sees the mask and he is filled with fear until he realizes that it's not a person. And then the story proceeds as the same. To me there, there's a little bit more. Um, I like your version for what you're saying about the fox just completely missing the point. But your version is much more... Yeah, there, when there's that emotional connection, that brings something else out as well, which, um, like, you know, the, so the moral of the story, um, the explicit moral is outside show is a poor substitute for inner worth. Okay, we can see that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a mask, you know, you could you can have, you know, you could create a perfect replica of a human being out of paper mache or a wax museum, right? Uh, you know, you can go to New York, they have the wax museums, celebrities that look just like celebrities, um, but doesn't really mean anything if they're not alive, right? So what, what what's on the outside um, doesn't matter as much as what's on the inside. All right, that's a good moral. Yeah. But yeah, there is something else going on with, with masks there, right? And I think that one that's pretty salient between... Uh, you and me on a on a, a micro scale, but I think that pretty much everybody who's ever seen Star Wars on a macro scale, right, mm. is this idea of um, Boba Fett, right? <laughs> so, it, without fail, there seems to be two reactions to people who who saw Boba Fett, um, you know, in a, the original trilogy, right? Yeah. Before before all of this expanded universe stuff has happened, yep. there's the people that said, "Wow, this guy just showed up and got." thrown into a sarlacc pit what a lame character the end right? <laughs> there's other people that are like wow you know what this character he seems frightening and mysterious and kind of intriguing and you know they should have done something a little bit different with them so i'm on that side of it right and so i 3d printed a mandalorian helmet and to me there's something just in the design like i don't know what it is inside my own psyche that just looks at this this design the aesthetic of this and thinks man there's something that is frightening and mysterious and intriguing and cool about it and my wife who doesn't care about star wars at all right when i finished the helmet and i put it on for the first time she looked at me and she goes man you know what that's way more cool than it has any right to be <laughs> uh, yes yes and that's the nature of mass going back across indigenous cultures across the planet. I mean, I'm sitting here, you have that Mandalorian helmet sitting on the table, and I glance at it, and it's full of life. That thing 
watches you sometimes. Well, you could say, well, it's part of the light reflection on everything. No, there's more to it than that. It embodies something. I've, uh, my wife's uh, uncle, uh, uh, adamantly collected, of uh, masks of, of, of various Native American and indigenous cultures, often was given them as gifts and so on, and treated them with some reverence. But if you walked into the room and you see that, or you go, you go to a, a Ganangadan, which is uh, one of the main conduits of, of, of indigenous culture in our area, uh, or people coming in and, and taking it in, uh, and you see a mask, there is an, a, a spirit, there is a life way beyond the individual who happens to have the honor of wearing the mask. There's a transformation. This goes on in acting, this goes on in puppeteering, this goes on with any number of permutations of masking. And that's where this takes me. Yeah, and it's almost like when you put the mask on, the line between acting and puppeteering becomes very blurred, doesn't it? Yeah. Because there's something, when you put that mask on, regardless of whether or not you're still portraying a human character or a spiritual character or whatever it may be, the fact is you are not you're not playing yourself anymore or you're not playing a, p- a part with the humanity behind it because you, you express that with the face, yeah. right? And when you cover up the face, I think that it, there's something deeper about humanity that you are starting to look at yeah. when, when the mask or the helmet or whatever it is goes on that covers the face. And yeah. I, and, and, and Fox misses that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a Fox. What, what can we do? Well, I have to tell you, there's, there's, a, this is just a little side anecdote too, but it sort of dovetails with all of this. Of uh, my wife and I have a fox mask that we uh, got at the Sterling Renaissance Festival some years ago, and we've had it upstairs in the uh, storage area. But our friends who do shake on the lake were uh, gathering up various costuming materials and we had some renaissance stuff and they're doing a version of Macbeth, Macbeth and right now and and so i tossed in the fox mask and as it turns out that fox mask is being used for one of the witches <laughs> and when i see still shots i'm going to see the real the, the production live tonight but i see still shots and i know who's wearing that mask nope nope there's a transformation. Yeah. Yeah, it's really wild. All right. So next one is the fox and the woodcutter. A fox running before the hounds came across a woodcutter felling an oak and begged him to show him a safe place to hide. The woodcutter advised him to take shelter in his own hut. So the fox crept in and hid himself in a corner. The huntsman soon came up with the hounds and inquired of the woodcutter if he had seen the fox. He declared that he had not seen him and yet pointed all the time he was speaking to the hut where the fox lay hidden. The huntsman took no notice of the signs, but believing his word, hastened forward in the chase. As soon as they were well away, the fox departed without taking any notice of the woodcutter. Whereon, the woodcutter called to him and reproached him, saying, You ungrateful fellow, you owe your life to me, and yet you leave me without a word of thanks. The fox replied, Indeed. I should have thanked you fervently if your deeds had been as good as your words, and if your hands had not been traitors to your speech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the explicit moral here is do unto others 
as they would you'd have them do unto you. Um, and yeah, this is, I mean, this again is something that all of us, as soon as you hear the story, you can think of scenarios that have, that have happened to you that, that follow this, right? Somebody who is, um, What's a good expression? Like talking out of both sides of their mouth. Right, basically. right. <laughs> Which itself, if you just think of it as an expression, uh, and you picture somebody doing it, hey, look, this is what's going on. Oh, yeah, over here. This is like, it's, it's goofy. Right. It's goofy. It's like saying lying through your teeth. Well, how else are you going to? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but if you for an oral culture, uh, but this one just, I read this. I thought about this one. There's a classic philosophical paradigm or model. Um, are you are you always bound to tell the truth? Mm-hmm. And, and so, what if your duty? And so, we're deontological. I, I, do I have a, always have a duty to the truth? Well, if so, taken to its logical conclusion of if some a friend of yours ran into uh, came to your apartment, knocked on the door, ran, hide me, hide me, somebody's trying to kill me. Okay, all right, I'll hide you behind the bed. And a person knocks on the door and says, "Um, have you seen X?" Yes. Oh, he's in behind hiding behind the bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because after all, I told the truth. And 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 that model brings up exactly well, what's which truth are we? Uh, and and so then we get into a collision of a larger need, the needs of the many as opposed to the needs of the few, or you know, brings up all those things. Mm. This this fox tail does that. And it's interesting because it puts the fox in the in the seat of utter wisdom about human nature. Mm. Um the, the fox isn't the controlling seat on this one. The fox could have died. The fox saw it all going on. It wasn't like the fox was just missing. Right. Sometimes a fox, because it's not all the same fox in the story. This is this is probably the fox that says, uh, you know, you're trying to get us to cut off our tails. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the fox that says, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Why should I thank you when you were trying to get the guy to get me? Right. Yeah, and I read the wrong moral. I was down one too far. The moral was it, there's as much malice in a wink as in a word. Um, mm, so, mm. yeah, and that, that really does sort of encapsulate the story. And yeah, it makes you think of deeper philosophical themes that we've talked about, like verisimilitude, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, if, if the fox is operating under a false premise, an untruthful premise, and the woodcutter is operating under an untruthful premise, and the houndsman is operating under an untruthful premise, all of them only have a piece of the, the truth, right? Well, is any one of them right in what they, in the action that they take? If none of them know what the truth of these, this situation between the three of them is, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah, it's a, it's again another one of those deeply interesting stories, and this one does portray the fox differently from a lot of the <laughs> other stories. All right, so last one, the fox and the crane. Let's see if I can I can not disappoint the way I did the last time, <laughs> uh, uh, because I, I did have all of these marked out. Now I I will say that I marked out some of the ones that we didn't talk about. The fox and the crane. This is slightly longer, not too much. A fox invited a crane to supper and provided nothing for his entertainment but some soup made of pulse, which was poured out into a broad, flat stone dish. The soup fell out of the long bill of the crane at every mouthful, 
and his vexation at not being able to eat afforded the fox much amusement. The crane, in his turn, asked the fox to sup with him and set before her a flagon with a long, narrow mouth so that he could easily insert his neck and enjoy its contents at his leisure. The fox, unable even to taste it, met with a fitting requital after the fashion of her own hospitality. <laughs> so the moral of this one is do unto others as they'd have him do unto you. Yes. But yeah. I think that the other one that I saw in there was essentially um, what goes around comes around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it brings up the innate cruelty of, of human beings and I say innate because it can be overcome, but I think it's hard to argue that it's not mm. there. Uh, and there's so much of this that runs through the culture. People get upset because, well, you know, we can't tell the jokes we used to tell because somebody's going to be hurt by them. Yeah. So is that so bad? I mean, how about we adjust our humor so we can still tell truths about things without having to batter somebody? Right. Uh, but I, but that, that takes me to that particular scenario because I've heard it many times over the past couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there is, there's a, an important distinction to draw with these things, right? Because I think that that one that you just pointed out is, is the moral of this story. I think that the fox originally, um, did what he did with intent, with purpose, um, for amusement, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and that is a direct parallel to what you were just saying, which is something that is prevalent everywhere. I've, I constantly have to deal with it at work, you know, mm-hmm. telling people, hey, listen, you can't do that, you know, because, um, you know, what might be funny to you is actively harmful to somebody else. You know, you might think it's funny that the crane can't eat, but you need to eat to, to live, essentially, mm-hmm. right? You've got, um, and, and so, of course, my, my mind went immediately because I love comedy went to Ricky Gervais and Dave Chappelle, who have just been pounding on, on the trans community. There's no amusement here. This is utter cruelty. And there's a lot, they're being called out for this by a lot of people. You know, and the, but to me, there's no difference, essentially, between what they're doing and what Fox does. Ha ah, you can't eat. Watch me eat my food. You know, yeah. Oh, now the, in one meal, the the, the crane's not going to expire. But the point is, you explicitly invited and then said no. Yeah, and that's why I think that um, what goes around comes around is an important addendum to the do unto others as they do unto you. Because there's another fable about the fox that we didn't read, um, the fox and the eagle. Mm. And this one is slightly darker, but it has sort of the same message. Where the fox and the eagle were friends, um, they decided that they would raise their perspective offspring nearby um then one day when the fox is out getting food the eagle said well my my little eagles are hungry so i'm just going to scoop up a fox cub and eat it and the fox was very upset but had no way of retaliating against the eagle um and then the eagle later on went to um find some more food for its eaglets and it scooped down and picked up a piece of goat but that piece of goat was on a human altar of sacrifice. So the humans were sacrificing this goat in a religious ceremony. So they took great offense to it and, um, you know, went and burned down the eagle's nest Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. eagle's babies fell out of the next and the fox gobbled them up. So that is the, what goes around comes around story. Very dark. But again, I think that it's, it is an important part of the moral because if you're, 
if you're doing unto others as they do unto you, you know, that sort of thing um, will follow you in some regard. And I'm not talking about a, a karmic sort of follow you, but, um, you know, we all have at any point, any of us could be subject to cruel treatment by any person, right? Yeah. But within our personal spheres of relationships that we have, we can establish a relationship, we can establish an expectation of behavior. And if the expectation that we set for people is that we are going to be kind, we're going to be generous, we're going to be these things, then they tend to repay them that way. And they tend to um, discourage or shun people who might not be familiar with that, your way of doing things mm -hmm. from treating you badly, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a almost a peer pressure to treat people as they deserve to be treated based off of the people who know them best. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so you can see that in these stories, you know, the fox and the crane could have could have gone along being good friends and eating supper together and doing these things if the expectation had been set that they were going to have an equanimous relationship. Uh, yep, yep. And, 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 and this one, the, your pairing of those two stories, the one, the additional one that you, re, that you related, you know, this, this takes you back to thinking about fables themselves, which are anthropomorphized. <laughs> Incredibly, the fox would have tried to eat the crane. The crane would have gotten away. They're not making soup. <laughs> but, but, but in the eagle one, this is nature. Uh, when the, the philosophers uh, talked in the uh, 1700s, 1800s about about uh, uh, nature, uh, human nature, as well as all of nature, being uh, red of tooth and claw, hmm. yeah, the, the eagle would eat a fox, and, and when the nest comes down, the fox would eat the eagles, because that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. And they and there are Aesop's fables that that portray that that moral. Um again, two other ones we didn't use. Um I think it was the fox, the dogs, and the lion, where there's a dead lion and the dogs are are eating it, and the fox comes by and says, If only that lion were alive, you would have found that his claws are much sharper than your teeth, right? <laughs> that's a that's a natural moral if mm -hmm. you've ever heard one. Mm -hmm. Another one was um oh shoot, what was the other one? Oh, it was um the fox and the lion. A live lion is in a cage, and the fox despises him. Says, "Oh, look at how you know, look how sad you are. What a shame!" And the lion says, "You don't despise me. You despise the situation that I'm in." Meaning that if the lion were free, the fox would not be talking to him this way. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, this is, well, you now you just because this is what this is. This game that we're playing. We, uh, took my granddaughter to the zoo a few times over the past number of months and uh, up in Rochester. And you know, as zoos go, it's, 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 it doesn't feel cruel. You know, I know there are all kinds of arguments about zoos, but, um, but there is the, the lion exhibit, which you see, this is why these, these are so good because they trigger memories. Mm. Right. Uh, have you been to the Rochester? Zoo? Yeah. Yeah. So the lion exhibit, uh, it's wonderful, large stones. All the kids think it looks like Lion King because there's a great big hill with it. But there's a, there's a tour bus that's put inside. You can walk in the tour bus and often there's a female lion, a lioness sitting uh, on the hood. And you walk up and you look through the window and you're right there seeing the lion is uh, an inch of glass between you and the lion. And everybody's like, oh, wow, this is great. I'm, oh, boy, it could get me. 
yeah, <laughs> it could break that glass and get you. And and so thank you, Lion, for not being so hungry. You wanted to thank you, Zoo, for keeping the lions fed. But, you know, we'd like to walk this edge where we think we're being so clever. <laughs> and that doesn't always work out well. Yeah, and again, this is where the, the morals, you know, we can look at them on a micro scale, right? So with the fox and the eagle, you know, the eagle takes advantage of the fox and the fox has no way of retaliating, but the eagle eventually is retaliated against. Um, it's the same thing if we look at it at a macro scale again, right? We look at these lions, you know, and we look at them in, in this situation and think, oh, wow, they're scary, but, you know, we're, we're clever. We've established this thing so they can't get to us. But then we look at, we zoom out and we see that we're actively destroying their habitat and in in also in conjunction our own habitat right and so the retaliation <laughs> is there for you know assuming a dominant stance over nature in the way that we're doing it. so yeah exactly it's a climate it's a climate fable yeah <laughs> <laughs> which Aesop wouldn't have thought of right so if I, there had been an Aesop <laughs> so this is I mean I guess this is a rare situation where the human and animal relationships um are sort of even out, right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It's not merely talking to, you know, human to human, but also kind of human to nature, right? You, you, you have to do unto nature as you want nature to, to do unto you. If you're not going to treat it respectfully or treat it as if it's, it's a, something that has a, a fragile balance in an ecosystem in a way that needs to be approached, it's not going to provide that yeah. fragile ecosystem. Right. And, and you and you think, and, and, and this, you're right, the, the fables being animals with human characteristics, it's not hard at all to turn that around and say humans with animal characteristics. Mm. Um, we can get in, I, I think we're going to be doing more of this next week, right? Yeah, uh, that's the thing is I had a bunch of questions to ask about the fox, but we're short on time. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of these questions um, don't apply just to the fox, but um, it's sort of examining the nature of um, animals in in the fables as a whole. So we can save it for another episode yep. where we have a little bit more time. Okay. Maybe one of the animals that has a few less fables associated with okay. it. Okay. But I think for for this episode, I think it went really well. I had a lot of fun looking at them all. Yeah, me too. And uh, we'll keep going with the the series next week. So until next time, keep on. Keep on.